Hi, good morning. Today's uh, scripture reading is taken from Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the God your Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Verse 22. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. This is God's word. for reading us the word of God. I feel like... How do I sound to you? There we go. As many of you know already, we are celebrating Great Commission Month. I always feel like Great Commission Month is an excellent time to remember who it was who brought the gospel to us. I believe I first heard the good news on my mother's lap. But before I heard the good news, uh, someone was faithful to bring the gospel to my people. I don't know if you've done the research, who it was who first brought the gospel to your people. If you come to equip after the service, we'll talk about who first brought the gospel to the people we now know as Grace Baptist Church. But who was it who first brought the gospel to you? Uh, for me, it was a missionary named Colombo. In the 6th century, he left the relative comfortable confines of Christian Ireland and went north to the barbaric picked tribes. Before there was Scotland, there were the barbarian Picts. So this might be a good time for me to acknowledge that while your ancestors were living in terrace palaces and creating ice cream, my ancestors were living in caves trying to start a fire. And then Columba came and he brought the good news of the gospel to my people. He taught them the theology of a God who lived, who was great and almighty, 
who would calm their fears, cause them to lay down their weapons. He taught them the theology of God, and he also taught them, as you can probably imagine, beardology. I'm saying this just so you know, it's not really my fault. We learned it from the missionaries. Now, if you were here last week, and first of all, let me apologize to the visitors. This is just my way of having fun with you. I've started growing this beard to Sherry's shock and shame to challenge us to do more for missions. So, here's how we're doing. You can go down right now, not right now, in a few minutes, to the fellowship hall and see where our missionaries' prayer requests are posted. And you can also see the new thermometer that will challenge us to give a little more to the cause of missions. Right now, I hate to say it, we're not getting rid of the beard totally. We're not even here yet. Our giving so far this year is $163,045, which is awesome, but it's not yet going to remove the beard. So let me challenge you, if you didn't realize, oh, this is Mission Sunday, I, I didn't have uh, my offering to missions, you can give it any time. There's brown envelopes, you can go online and give to missions using a, what do they call it, gyro account. There it is. Now let's pray. Uh, Father God, we uh, thank you that you have called us for a reason. Not just to be different, but to be different on purpose. We're grateful this morning that there are those from our midst this week even who will go to Pua, Thailand and begin to live on purpose. We're grateful for our missionaries, Mac and Norella. We pray for Mac and Norella as, as they begin a new semester with new children and with those who they've had before as they begin this new academic year. Give them stamina, we pray. And pray that you would strengthen them. And for those who travel there to meet with them, for William and Karen, for Joanne, for Bay, for Kim Song and Isaac, for Joni and Susan, for Siu Kim, uh, God, give them journey mercies. Bind them with the kind of unity that happens when your people are doing your work your way. We pray that you would strengthen and protect them against the evil one who doesn't desire that your kingdom expand in the hearts of these young people. I pray that you would bless them with patience to love these children as you desire them to be loved. And I pray that you would gift them to be encouragement to Mac and Nerola. I pray that the name of Christ would be magnified through every moment of this trip. Let them see you, O oh God, doing Doing in poor what only a glorious, almighty God can do. And Father, for us who remain, I pray that you would fill our hearts with purpose and unclutter our minds right now so that we might hear from your word how you would have the people of God live among the nations. We ask you to do this for your glory. Amen. Uh, as we look at this uh, passage of Scripture this morning, you will notice it's a huge swath of text. We're walking through this great sermon, actually three sermons of Moses. And uh, just trust me, 
uh, the people of Israel did not have the distractions that we have. I have a clock that is going to remind me that I should be done in about 35 or 40 minutes. Moses had 40 years. They didn't have social networking. They didn't, they didn't have, you know, cable or, or WhatsApp. They only had the evenings and Moses to speak the Word of God to them. And so this is a sermon that is 34 chapters long. And this morning we are going to try and run through two of them. So if you have your Bibles or your app, then turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Keep your finger there because we'll be looking at both chapter 9 and 10 this morning. Uh, First, by way of introduction, just want to remind you that this is a message not just to people, not just to the people of Israel, but the people of Israel were the prototype for God's missionary people. Remember, they didn't have a certain subset of special missionary people that went. All of God's people were expected to be on mission all the time among the nations to which He had called them. So specifically, this is Moses' sermon, God's word to a chosen people who were called to live different, different, different among the nations for God's glory and for their good. So, before he could get into it, Moses had to constantly remind God's people all the way through this sermon about their pedigree, about their heritage, where they come from. So, for instance, in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 9, he says, Therefore know this, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, For you are a stubborn people. This is your pedigree. This is your DNA. If anybody knows anything about the people of Israel, it's that they are stubborn. The word comes from an ancient Hebrew word, which means a stiff neck cannot turn. Which means I'm becoming more and more stubborn the older I get. If you talk to me from behind me, I can't turn my neck. I'm going to have to turn my whole body to look at you. The people of Israel was so set in their ways, they become just like me. They were stubborn. God had to remind them constantly, righteousness is not in your DNA. You are a product of God's mercy, not your own virtue. In fact, he reminds them in chapter 9, the other nations were displaced not because you are better than them, but because they are wicked. Become like them, and you will experience the same result as they did. This is your heritage. This is your legacy. This is your DNA. In fact, Moses got so upset in the middle of his sermon. I believe he was a passionate guy. In the middle of his sermon, he says, In fact, this is verse 24, You have been rebellious from the day I met you. You're just this way. And and so here, GBC, we as God's missionary people in this place, on this island, we need to have an awareness that Israel seemed to lack. And that is this. Missionaries are not irreplaceable. God can do without us, GBC. God can do without the people of Israel. God is God. He can use 
anyone he desires to be. That's why it's so important for God's missionary people to ask, God, what kind of people do you desire us to be? Look at this in verses, um, chapter, sorry, chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. This is God speaking. Leave me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. This people is not indispensable. So the question for us today is, what is the missionary task when God is so grieved that he says to the missionary, leave me alone. I can't tolerate this people any longer. What does the missionary people do then? Here is the response in God's word. First, missionary task is pleading mercy. Before one talks about, you know, what is our missionary strategy in Pois, before we begin to talk about how can we begin to raise support so that, that we can do and, and, and go and be what God has called us to, to do and to be, before there's any talk of vision trips, the first heavy lifting, the first work of a missionary is plead mercy. This we can see in the person of Moses as he's communing with God on the mountain of Sinai. And God says, look, the people that I have called to be different, 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 they are down there in the valley while you are up here in the mountain. And while you are turning your heart to me, this people is twisting their heart to all the other nations. They've made themselves idle just like the other nations. And Moses' response is this. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said He would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage for they are your people and your heritage who you brought up by your great power and by your outstretched Arm. Let's just break down the content of this prayer for the nations. First verse 26, he says, don't destroy your people and your heritage. You see, a heritage is something that is passed down from one generation to the other. You know my parents, who their people group was, who they pleaded mercy for? It was their children. Their children were the Lord's heritage. When the gospel came to them, they knew our first people group is our own boys. In fact, then they adopted two girls so that those two girls would be a part of the Lord's gospel heritage. Lord, remember, the nations are your heritage. Let them know your mercy whom you have redeemed, secondly, in the second part of, of verse 26, you have redeemed them through your greatness. You know what Moses is doing here? He's saying, remember God, it's, it's not GBC's religious performance. It's not because they sing so well. It's not because they, they give offerings to your cause. 
It's because you're great. It's not because they're great. Remember, oh God, your greatness. Remember your mercy. And then verse 27. Well, don't look at them now. Remember mercy because of the faithfulness of those who went before them. You know, sometimes I take advantage of that. I have a lousy week and I say, Lord, remember Dr. P. Have mercy on your children. He was faithful. I'm, I'm not awesome. Remember the faithfulness of those who have gone before. Remember why God had mercy on David's children because of David. We have an obligation to pray mercy, but also to live faithful. And then verse 28, God, remember what? Your reputation. Do you understand, GBC, that God just doesn't have his eyes on us. He has his eyes on those who have their eyes on us. Remember mercy, because the nations are watching. Do not let them believe that you brought this nation out of slavery, gave them liberty because you hated them. Have mercy. Don't let the nations believe you only brought them out to the wilderness to slaughter them. God, the nations are watching. Guard the reputation of your name. Just in case you start to think, oh, so this prayer is for God's benefit then. It's, it's for His reputation. Let's place this prayer, the first mighty work of a missionary, within the context of God's greater revelation. Because in Ezekiel chapter 22, we see God's response in the midst of rebellion. In Ezekiel chapter 22, the shepherds of Israel were speaking out a word without first consulting with God. They were, they were saying um, things like, oh, this is the word of the Lord. And God said this in verse 28, her prophets smear with whitewash all the people saying, thus says the Lord when the Lord has not spoken. And here in, verses, in verse 30 is God's response. So, I sought a man among them who would build up the wall, stand in the breach before me on behalf of the land so I should not destroy it, and I found none. Who is praying for the brokenhearted? Who is standing in the gap for the nations? This is the first work of the missionary. Oh God, have mercy on the tribal people in Thailand. Oh God, have mercy on China. Oh God, have mercy on my nation. This is the missionary prayer of a missionary mother who soaked the, 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 the pillow with her own tears and cried out, Oh God, have mercy on my son Ian. Discipline him, but don't take his life. This is why I'm so thrilled that broken-hearted mothers gathered yesterday and cried out this missionary prayer. Remember God mercy for the sake of these who have wandered off. Remember mercy. Uh, secondly, the work of the missionary 
is pointing to his word. Now I'm going to combine these two for just a moment. I remember when Sherry and I were uh, still very young missionaries. We had uh, gone as a missionary to our own nation, planted a church there, and, and then we went to Taiwan. And in 1993, we were in Malaysia, and everything was different. Uh, for the first time in my life, uh, everything I was trained to do, everything I felt uh, competent and gifted to do was technically not allowed for me to do. I um, had no idea what I was going to do in a place that said, um, you can't do that. And so for much of my first uh, six, seven, eight months, I, I, I just was crying. I wasn't crying for the people of Malacca. I was crying for my, my own lousy missionary report. What, what, what am I going to say? And then in 1993, the International Mission Board sent us to Bandung for this gathering of missionaries. And um, Henry Blackaby was the speaker. Some of you may have uh, read Henry Blackaby. He's written lots of books. One is Experiencing God. And honestly, I was young. I was overwhelmed by being around a thousand other missionaries. And, and I remember nothing uh, what he preached. But, but he... Uh, consistently pointed to the word. And then when we got to the end, he asked a question, and I do remember that question. He looked out at us and he said, do missionaries these days still believe in hell? And then when he came to the altar call, like, who gives altar calls to missionaries who have already said yes? Henry Blackaby. And he said this, I, I'm inviting you to come forward. I, I found this in my notes. And pray for your people group. Remembering that without divine intervention, an entire village of your people will be formed in hell today. And I have never experienced anything like that. Old, experienced missionaries running forward, falling on their face, lying down, crying. The whole room was filled with weeping as missionaries cried, Oh God, have mercy. Forgive me for my strategies. Forgive me for my competence. Will you not intervene in mercy on behalf of this people group? And that was the day I began to see God do things that were not in my resume. That Ian Bunton, the trained missionary, was not capable of of doing. The next thing Moses did was he pointed God's people to his word. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two ta tables of stone, tablets, excuse me, of stone, just like the first, and come up to me on the mountain again. Make an ark of wood and I will write on the tablets the words that were in the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. Then verse 5, then I turned, 
I came down to the mountain. I put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are, as the Lord commanded me. You, you, you see, sometimes missionaries are tempted to respond to crises with their own strategies. Moses responded with greater missionary passion. Instead of providing the word, he crushed the word in his passionate, prophetic fury. Here's what the nations don't need. They don't need our opinions. They don't need anything else but God's word. If missionaries are going around the world, if we leave this place today and bring our neighbors our opinion or even our better standard of living than they have achieved as evidence that we are blessed, then we do the wrong thing. For centuries... European missionaries have been traveling all around the world teaching the barbarian peoples European languages, European culture, European dress, wear pants because that's what Jesus would do. In fact, the early missionaries to my country, Canada, taught the tribal children to wash their skin with steel wool so they could whiten themselves. We would never do something like that because we have Olay white radiance, right? We have been so influenced. Listen, if you've got all the Christian culture but do not have the Word of God, you are just as desperately despairing and impoverished as you were before the Westerners came here and taught you English and educated you with their education because the second task of the missionary is not to spread his culture but to spread the word of God God forgive us point to the word as the prophet Amos said behold the days are coming and now is declares the Lord I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. It's not about saying, here's a cultural anecdote that will help you understand why Western countries are better off. It's about men and women standing up and saying, here it is, just as the Lord gave it to me, this is the word of the Lord. You know, GBC, what Singapore needs is not another church building, not another branded church. What they need is missionaries who will say, are, are you spiritually hungry? I've got nothing. But here is the word of the Lord. It's the second work of the missionary, pointing to his word. The third task, cultivating hearts. We see this metaphor all throughout Scripture. God is a God who plants and cultivates gardens. He planted humanity. 
in the Garden of Eden. And even Israel, he planted as a garden. And so here is the song the prophet Isaiah sang in chapter 5. The one I love had a vineyard, a fine, well-placed vineyard. He hoed the soil and pulled the weeds and planted the very best vines. He built a lookout, built a wine press, a vineyard to be proud of. He looked for a vintage yield of grapes. But for all his pains, he got junk grapes. God planted a garden. And the third task of the missionary is to cultivate that garden. How does a missionary cultivate? Uh, first, we empty me of me. Yes, that's terrible English, but if you know it as well as I do, you can make it up. We intentionally Oh, empty me of me. Uh, look at this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Many of us are not discovering the good that God has for us, because even while we're sitting here, we're planning our strategies for work Sunday morning. We're planning to update our Facebook account. We have too much of us here. The last task of a missionary is to empty us of us. Now, the church that we left in Vancouver, our, our youngest son is one of the pastors there, and every month he takes a group of young adults down to the downtown core and Vancouver is unlike Singapore in this way. There are about 30,000 homeless people in Vancouver. It's the only city in Canada where you can survive all winter long outside. It's full of homeless people. And we try to not look at them because we know that they're going to ask us for something. But my son has decided that once a month he's going to take all the young adults and they go downtown where homeless people can shoot up for free because of universal health care. They provide them a meal, they sing them some songs, and then they share the gospel. This past week, the new lead pastor, Steve G., went down with them and he sent me a note. Uh, two, two days ago, he sent this note. It says, last night I, I had the opportunity to bring God's word to this group of homeless people. And while Brennan was leading the singing, I noticed one guy who's standing with head down, not singing. I just assumed he was being hateful and just waiting for the meal to come. Then I stood up to share the message. And just three minutes into the message, that man stood up and walked forward. He clearly didn't understand the sermon protocol. Three minutes into his message, this man stopped and walked forward right in front of Steve G. He was not standing on a platform. He was standing on the main floor, and he said this to me, Steve wrote. Can you stop talking? 
and pray for me. I have nothing left. I am at my end. Do you understand that all through Scripture, God uses trouble to get me to the end of myself. When I have exhausted all my energies, when my strategies have failed, when my self-constructed support mechanisms that became idols came crashing down, when all of the idols of sorry, education and affluence could not keep me from cancer, then I agree. God's design is for my good. Then I'm ready. Fill me with something other than this broken down man. Forgive me for giving you 10% when you only ask for everything. Equip me to love you with all my heart. Serve you with all my soul. Give with all my might because it is for my good. God works to get me to the end of myself. But secondly, He works so that we would circumcise our hearts. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He's the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He's not partial and takes no bribe. You think the Lord is bribed by your faithful attendance? As many of you know, every Hebrew boy, as a sign of their covenant with God, was circumcised on the eighth day. But that was just a symbol of the greater work. Men can circumcise a child, but only God can circumcise a heart. Even in this, God requires me to depend on Him. <clears throat> we call this a green chain. If... If you're wondering how I supported myself when I dropped out of high school, when my parents said, if you can't live by the house rules, you, you need to live elsewhere, I went down to the timber mill and I began to work pulling raw timber off a chain. It was called the green chain because the wood was green. It hadn't yet been in a kiln. It hadn't yet been planed, so it was really rough. You might can tell all the guys are wearing leather aprons because the the timber was so rough it would tear your pants. It would tear your jeans. They all wore gloves. Now, I worked this. It was $20 an hour. That's a lot of money in the 70s. It wasn't motivating me to go back to school. $20 an hour to pull heavy timber off. And I did it so long that my hands became completely calloused. My, my fingers were like square tubes. In fact, just to show all the new guys how what a monster I was, I didn't use gloves. I still wore an apron because my jeans still tore, but my hands were tough. 
And then every once in a while, mom would ask me to come home for dinner and I would sit right in front of my dad and pick slivers out of my calloused hands. I didn't feel them, but I wanted my dad to know, you thought I'd be lazy? Look at me. Callous is what grows around a heart that has been rebellious so long we can no longer feel the pain of God's grief. I worked so hard for 15 years to no longer feel the guilt of not following my call to be a missionary, the call that I received when I was just eight years of age. And then God began to carve away that tough callus around my heart. And God says, circumcise there the flesh of your heart so that you would be tender toward me. You're stubborn, stiff people. Circumcise your heart. And then third, this is the last thing, by the way. Love others. This is surprising. Surprising because the people of Israel were the people who called all non-Israelites goying, insects, bugs, Gentiles. And God says, He, the Lord your God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the sojourner, giving him clothes and food. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Are you hearing this? He does not say you were slaves in the land of Egypt because the people of Israel lived in Egypt for 430 years. For 400 years, they enjoyed the safety and sanctuary of the most powerful nation on earth. They were sojourners. They were Displaced people. And today, all over the world, there are displaced people migrating, seeking what? Opportunity. And that's why every Western nation that was influenced by the fundamentals of biblical truth have always opened their doors to the migrants. Because it's a command of God. Love those who are different. You get no special holy status because you love people who are like yourself. Remember, you too were once immigrants. This is a God who does not build walls. He breaks them down. He makes many nations one family. He loves those who have been alienated. He reaches down to those who have been marginalized. We used to be lowly. Now we've become great. So how do we feel toward those who are low? That tells God everything He needs to know about us. I should have asked his permission before I tell this story. One of our pioneer members 
was sharing in his CG a week ago last Friday. By the way, I'm not sure why this is here. He spoke of a school friend that he grew up with. And I remember him saying, he was the best of us. He was the brightest. He became a medical doctor. And then, crazy, he felt a call to missions. He went to Africa. And for 30 over years, he gave his life away to the nations of Africa. And now he's come back home with nothing, nothing but cancer. And, and here we are, all his school chums. We've made a life for ourselves. We're living in our big houses and, and we're driving our big cars. And here this man has come back who was our schoolmate. And he's come back with nothing but cancer. He can't even afford treatment. How, how, do you, how do you feel about people like that? Do you, do you feel like, whoa, is he ever naive? Didn't prepare for sickness or retirement? He didn't, you know, put money away? What was he thinking? I'm grateful for your friend, Cece, who said, I have no regrets. Nothing would I change. I would give it all again for the sake of loving the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. And here's why we need to know this. God, in the previous verse, chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, called together a special people within the tribe the children of Aaron, the children of the Levites. And he said, they will not have an inheritance with all the rest. For the Lord, their God, is their inheritance. Why does this matter? Because we who have been adopted into the family have not just been adopted into the family of Israel. We've been adopted into the family of Aaron. That's why the Apostle Peter wrote, for you are, you, all the nations, once called Goyim, you have been adopted into the family. You are the chosen race. You are a what? A royal priesthood. What now gives you comfort? Is it the things that this God gives or is it God Himself? For this friend, this brother, he came to the end of himself. He gave it all the way. His inheritance is the Lord. Why? Jesus wondered. Would a man gain the whole world and lose his soul? I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. While you bow together with me, can you imagine at one 
point in your life, you were not a people. You were an insect. Goyim. At one point in your life, you were living in darkness. And then God called you to Himself. A holy nation. A person for His own possession. That you and that I might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out. Once we were not a people. Now we are the people of God. Today, would you say, you, O oh Lord, you are enough. Empty me of me. The ambition that keeps me up at night. The drive that makes me anxious. Make you and you alone my only ambition. For the sake of the nations, make us, O oh God, different, different, different. It is for our good. Make us a people for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.